I was asked by Alex's team to guest host today. It's an honor and a responsibility, an enormous forum. I'm going to talk about issues that I think are important to Americans and to the world. And then for the third hour, I'm going to do something a little bit different. As I mentioned before, Rebel News, although we have viewers around the world, we are based in Canada. And normally, Canada is a boring subject for Americans. And frankly, Canadians have liked it that way. Canada, as one diplomat once said, is a fireproof house far away from inflammable material. Well, that is no longer true. And I want to tell you some stories about Canada, including about political prisoners, including about the trucker convoy, including about Justin Trudeau, who is the ultimate World Economic Forum globalist. We'll have proof of all these things. I'll give you an update call it a cautionary tale. I think that Americans know that they are the home of liberty, and maybe it's hard to imagine, well, how could that ever end? Surely it'll go on forever. Well, I think if you look at Canada and if you look at the United Kingdom, you will see how these things are eroded. Shame on you, you censorious bug. The right to say things someone doesn't want to hear, that's so important, it's the First Amendment. But what if it's someone who is calling for the destruction of your own country, and not just calling for it in the abstraction? They wear a mask, they try to break into the White House, perhaps not as seriously as one might think they would. They wear a mask, they call for death to the Jews, they call for intifada revolution, by the way, Hamas is not just against Jews. They're against Christians. They're against infidels. They want a global caliphate. And some of the flags these folks are flying say the same thing. At what point in time is it no longer, is the pith and substance of what they're doing no longer speech, but, I don't know, supporting terrorism? In Canada, we have laws against supporting a terrorist group. They break that into four different things, participation, instruction, harboring terrorism, or... Um, facilitating terrorism. So if you just say, I like a terrorist group, that's not against the law in Canada. But if you participate, instruct, harbor, or facilitate, that is material help. Are these people in the United States, 100,000 of them marched through Washington. I think it was a little bit less. I think most of them were just expressing themselves. But are there people who are, for example, taking orders from a terrorist group? Ron DeSantis did something interesting the other day. He stripped two clubs from Florida State Universities, not for anti-Semitism, which I imagine is protected by the First Amendment, but rather for expressly saying they were going to participate in a terrorist movement. They had a toolkit for helping Hamas. Ron DeSantis said that's not a First Amendment issue. That is against the law. He cited the law and stripped two clubs of their status. If someone is a foreign national here, does that make a difference? Let me, let me make my point more clear. If you're an American and you say, I like Hamas, that's one thing. If you're an American and say, I like Hamas, I want to help them, that's another thing. Are you aiding the terrorist group? But what if you are in the United States or Canada or the United Kingdom as a guest? What if you're a foreign national and you're only here because... We invited you to attend our universities. You have a student visa. You're not an American citizen or Canadian citizen or British citizen. You are a guest in our house, and we are doing you the great favor of letting you learn at our universities. 
And that is the reason you're here. But instead of studying, you go into these Hamas hate marches. I'm sorry, they are hate marches. They're calling for intifada revolution. Sometimes in Arabic, they, they talk about Kaibar, Kaibar, uh, Yahud, kill the Jews. All right, is it a little bit different if you're at a rally? You're not a citizen. You're here as a temporary guest. Look at this young woman. That's our reporter, David Menzies, on the streets of Mississauga. She's got M16. I think those are, I'm not sure which weapons. She's got machine gun earrings and a shirt, which we translated, which is never give up your gun. But she's not a Second Amendment activist. In fact, if you play that clip, she's basically saying, I do not renounce Hamas. I support everything they did. Everything that they did was justified. Uh, and by the way, what you're saying they did is a lie. Hey, play a clip of this, this young woman. By the way, she's a very attractive, presentable young woman. Her English is perfect. I'm not sure if she was born in Canada. What do you do with someone like this? Play the clip. Hamas is not a terrorist group. Oh, it isn't, ma'am. First of all, Hamas is not okay. a terrorist group. Hamas is not a terrorist group. What is it, like a motorcycle it club? Or? It is a resistance that has been fuming for 75 years of colonialism, of occupation, of murder, of rape, of little children, of women. That's what they are. They are resistance. Do you think Canada is everything, a colonialist country, too? Everything or? that they do is justified. Including what happened thing. last week? Every single thing they have done is justified. Oh, ma'am, there were children murdered, there were babies beheaded. Oh. Babies beheaded, really. Please educate yourself. Well, please, please check the news, okay. because as, as a news reporter, you gotta check the fucking news, okay. because they said that that shit was fake. That truck, do you see that truck? If you support terrorism, and you are not a citizen, and you're here on a visa to be a student, and you're going to one of these hate rallies, should you be deported? I say yes. Is that a violation of the First Amendment? Is that un-American to kick someone out just because they say, I want to kill all the Jews or kill the infidels or have an intifada revolution? So we have a petition to deport Hamas.com. I'm talking about rebel news. We took this truck around Washington, D.C. We took this truck around New York City, and I was in, and we interviewed people. I was impressed that a lot of people said, hey, you got to be careful about the First Amendment. I want to know from Alex Jones, InfoWar listeners, where do you draw the line? Because you love that First Amendment. Is it something you, and, and as I said a moment ago, Freedom of speech is such a curious gift. It's a gift you got to give your enemy if you want it for yourself. You cannot just believe in freedom of speech when it's you who's talking. You got to give it to your opponents. But what if that opponent is a foreign national who is in your country as a guest and he says, I want to kill you. I want to kill the Jews. What was done in Gaza and Israel, I want to replicate here. Everything they did was justified. And by the way, that young lady seemed quite sweet other than what she was saying. That's the kind of girl you see at the coffee shop or something. You think, okay, this is a new Canadian or a new American. What if they say, no, 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 what happened over there we want to do here? we got a bunch of calls. I want to take your calls. I want to see what you have to think. And you tell me, do you support our petition at deporthamas.com? Or do you say, no, 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 I'm libertarian, and you can come here and say death to America and go Hamas all you like. First call is Cameron from Indiana. Cameron, great to have you on the show. Go ahead. What's, what's your view on America and Hamas? So you specifically asked the question what we should do about people using their First Amendment rights to protest for Hamas. My, my thoughts on that are, you know, if you're a citizen in this country, you know, go ahead, use your ideology. 
or, or with this ideology, go ahead and use your First Amendment right and shoot yourself in the foot by warmongering and fueling the globalist agenda if you want to. But, I mean, if you're not a citizen, you should be deported immediately, which should be happening anyway. I think we should have halted deportation a while ago. Um, uh, with, you know, just being on the verge of World War III, I, I just I really do not think that we should be having anybody come into our country right now. That's just my thoughts. I can lose my job for my political beliefs. You should have to go back, you know, you should have to be deportated. You know, you don't want everything for free. So that's my thoughts on it. Thanks, Cameron. I appreciate your call. I mean, I, I think there is a moral difference between someone who is a citizen and someone who's on a temporary student visa for the purpose of going to school. It's the difference between someone being in your house. Are they a family member or are they a dinner guest? If they're a family member, you just don't kick them out because they're rude. If they're a dinner guest and they're rude, you kick them out of the house. Is that too facile an analogy? In the United States, you've got that open border that is letting people in by the million. And I tell you, many of them are just coming to make, make a buck. And, and you can understand that in, in a way. I think you got to respect that. But what, even though there's breaking the rules, but what about people who are coming here for the malign I mean, listen, I, I believe that there should be a border wall. I believe America should enforce its rules and law, as should Canada, as should the United Kingdom. And none of those three countries are. What I'm telling you is the kind of sneak attack across the Israel border that was done by Gaza, do you doubt that the same strategists in Tehran who thought, let's do that. Let's have an asymmetrical war. There's no way we're going to be able to go to war against the USS Eisenhower and the USS Gerald R. Ford and the Ohio-class submarine that just arrived. We are not going to go to war against the F-35 Lightning. We'll lose that battle, but we can cross over in paragliders and pickup trucks, and we'll use a Hamas front group so it's not Iran, and we'll do a devastating blow that way. Do you doubt that the same people who came up with that strategy and trained for it, do you doubt that they've noticed that America has an open back door and that sneaking in amongst people from Latin America, Central America, are people who come to wish America ill. Hey, I want to show you something from my hometown of Toronto because uh, I'm Jewish, and so I, I learned about the Holocaust when I went to school. And one of the things I learned about was an anti-Semitic boycott they did in Germany. There were, there were a lot of Jews in Germany and when Hitler was ascending, he had his brown shirts on the street, stand outside Jewish stores with signs in German saying, boycott the Jews, don't buy from Jews. And I don't know if you can find, so there's, there's a lot of images of it. And, and uh, they're sort of terrifying from the old time pictures from the 30s. Yeah, these ones right here. Deutsche, kauf nicht bei Juden. I'm not sure if my accent's right. That basically says Germans. Don't buy from Jews. And you can see there's a little sign there that says NJ or N Israel or something, clearly a Jewish store. And um, that would be terrifying. They're posting things on windows that looks like a Jewish department store. That's terrifying. And of course, it was a premonition of things to come. Let me show you a video from Toronto, Canada, my hometown. There's a restaurant called Aroma that is Jewish themed, like they have Jewish food. It's, it's just a restaurant in Toronto. The staff are multiracial, multiethnic. It's not just for Jews. But some of these pro-Hamas protesters saw this restaurant, knew it was Jewish, and they filmed themselves, a mob outside screaming at them and putting stickers on the window, very reminiscent of that Kauf nicht bei Juden, forgive my accent, 
from uh, 90 years ago. Take a look at this clip from Toronto, Canada. Take a look. Why? Why did did Aroma have a foreign policy statement that they're opposed to? Did Aroma dispatch some military equipment? Aroma is just a restaurant. It's an espresso bar that makes sandwiches. There is only one reason they're doing that because it's Jewish. It's visibly Jewish. And and for all the talk about oh no no we're just against this policy by the state of Israel. No, those are anti-Semites. I'm sorry to say, and the reason I say it is because of this conundrum I put to you. This paradox. This tough question. We love freedom of speech. It's what makes us different from other places. It's a stronger way to live. But what happens if you have... Yeah, look at this. This is a picture from Canada's Parliament. There's swastika. I remember during the trucker convoy, the freak out they, about how when this trucker convoy, I don't know if you remember, in February 2022, Canada had a very harsh lockdown. In fact, if you were not jabbed, you couldn't even get on an airplane, even within the country. You could not get in on a train. I couldn't travel. And... You could drive your car, but Canada is the second largest country in the world. You can't just drive around. So it was basically a no-fly list that Trudeau brought in for the unvaxxed. And then he applied it to truckers, truckers being the most isolated people other than maybe a lighthouse keeper. Like, seriously, you're in the back of the truck. You're in the front cab of the truck. You're, it's a solitary job. Imagine saying to them they had to be vaxxed or they couldn't work. So these truckers had this convoy, peaceful, went to Ottawa, honked their horns. Trudeau called them implied that they were Nazis, said they were racist. Trudeau actually, in the end, invoked martial law, seized over 200 bank accounts, threw the leader, and we'll talk about this in the third hour, threw the leader in prison for 49 days, reminiscent to the political prisoner Owen Schroyer, who we should bear in mind, is being treated as he is absolutely a political prisoner, I should say. Look at the martial law deployed for some peaceful truckers, and yet we have people chanting death to the Jews, intifada revolution, final solution, blocking roads in ways the truckers didn't even. I think it's a double standard. Non-conformity, that's the hardest thing in the world, isn't it? We're social animals. You can see it, fish swim in a school, birds fly in a flock. There's a safety in the herd. And to be a dissident and to say no when everyone else is saying yes or yes when everyone is, is saying no, that's very hard. That's the hardest thing in the world. Sometimes you're marginalized by your community, even by your own family. That's one of the things I hate the most about the lockdowns and the vaccine mandates is it actually pitted customer against shopkeeper. It pitted students against teachers and it even pitted families against each other. And for that, I'll never forgive the Albert Bourlas of the world. And it felt emotionally satisfying to ask him some tough questions. Uh, not that we got any answers, but I think his non-answers spoke volumes. It showed that he thought he was above answering and how dare you grubby, unaccredited journalists ask me those. And by the way, Albert Bourla probably did 1,000 media interviews during the course of the pandemic, but never were they unscripted. Never did anyone ask a tough question. It was all the regime media for whom Pfizer was an enormous advertiser. 
And I think that's what that walking scrum with Avi Amini and I showed. Our questions weren't particularly brilliant. We were coming up with them on the fly. It was cold. We were running around. It, it's that no one had ever asked him questions with a bit of a prickle. No one asked him skeptical or critical questions. And it was as much the regime media, the media party, as I sometimes call it, that was on trial at that moment as Albert Bourla himself. We have about 25 minutes left in the show. What a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you to the callers who called in earlier. I'm sorry we couldn't get to everybody. But I want to tell you about Canada. I've told you about a few things in Canada, transgender extremism. We talked to my colleague Sheila Gunn-Reed about the new euphemism for doctor-assisted suicide, medical assistance in dying. And they're deploying that against veterans, by the way, which I think is the greatest disgrace of all. As I mentioned earlier, Canada had a harsh lockdown. The province of Quebec actually had a curfew for the whole province from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. at night. Whether you were jabbed or not, whether you were sick or not, you had to stay in your house. Could you imagine that? A curfew. A cur I know what a curfew is. It's what you give to children. A curfew is what you give to someone under house arrest. A curfew. They put the whole province under a curfew, and no one objected. Incredible. By the way, Canada's Supreme Court still has not deigned to hear any matters of civil liberties violations during the lockdown. They just haven't gotten around to it. It hasn't been important enough for them to deal. Not a single one of these measures was ever struck down. In Canada, as I mentioned before, if you were not jabbed, you could not get on an airplane. And I'm not just talking about foreign flights, even within the country, the second largest country in the world. But when they went after the truckers, they went too far. One thing about truckers is a lot of them are independent, and they're certainly independent-minded, because you're on the road, what do you do? You listen, you listen to radio, you listen to podcasts, you listen to call-in shows, you listen and you think. And you're an individual who lives by your wits, and, and you work hard. And so when you were told that if you didn't get the jab, you couldn't work anymore, well, something clicked. And as George Orwell said in his book, 1984, if there's any hope, it lies with the proles, which is what he, the nickname for the proletariat, for the working class. We don't use that Marxist term that much, but would you agree with me that no one works harder than a trucker? And they went after the truckers and truckers. Well, there's a thing about a truck, it's long. And they're used to driving, so they converged on Ottawa peacefully, the most peaceful protest in Canadian history, not one incident or infraction by the truckers and they went to Ottawa simply to honk their horns and Justin Trudeau freaked out because this was making international news. Normally Canada is ignored by the world. Normally Canada is inconsequential. It's vanilla. But that time, those days, the truckers were a global headline and they rallied the world and it proved to people that they had a false consciousness of unanimity. Justin Trudeau, the Canadian prime minister, would always say, well, everyone agrees. 90% of people agree. They've already got the jab. We're all, all the media agrees. All the professors agree. All uh, the celebrities agree. All the political leaders agree. Everyone agrees. There was no nonconformity in Canada. We did not have a Texas or a Florida or a South Dakota in Canada. We did not have Ron DeSantis saying, now we're not going to lock down. We didn't have, uh, you, you know... In 50 states, you had 50 different approaches. Not so in Canada. You had unanimity. We had a federal election in the middle of this, and every single candidate in that election agreed. The one candidate who didn't agree wasn't allowed in the, in the leaders' debates. And so these truckers proved that it was a false consciousness that actually, no, we didn't all agree, just despite the fact that our TVs were pumping that message to us through our telescreens, as Orwell would say. And it's my estimate that 100,000 people participated in the convoy itself for summer, all of the journey, but that a million Canadians 
which would be like 10 million Americans, came out to watch the convoy drive by, to line the overpasses, to be on the side of the road. They wanted to see with their own eyes the citizen rebellion. And of course, it fell to the citizen journalists to watch the citizen rebellion, to report on it. The regime media called it an insurrection, and they demonized it. They refused to go and visit. You can see on the screen right now that it was a happy festival feeling. There were bouncy castles. It was, it was, I went there, people were spontaneously singing the anthem. It was a, it felt like a kind of Woodstock, actually. People, it was so cold. Look how cold it was, minus 20 or so. Oh, it was bitter. But Trudeau snapped. He made an unforced error. He invoked martial law. He deployed riot horses. He arrested the sort of, I would call her the spiritual leader of the truckers, a woman named Tamara Leach. I think we have the video of her being arrested on a snowy street. Just a regular mom and grandma, Métis, which means she part indigenous. Just a beautiful woman who was on the street that arrested and jailed. Yeah, there she is on the snowy street. She's barely five feet tall. The cops arrested her, handcuffed her. Like Owen Schroyer, there she is, Tamara Leach. Like Owen Schroyer put her in solitary confinement for her own health, you see, for COVID reasons, you see. That's the reason we're putting you in solitary, solitary confinement, not as a punishment. No, no, no. How would you think such a thing? It's for your own health, don't you know? 49 days, this grandma, nonviolent, very spiritual, in fact, very peaceful, in prison, 49 days. In fact, she's on trial in Ottawa right now, I'm proud to say Rebel News has published her book. You can get a copy of her book if you're curious. It's called theconvoybook.com. Won't surprise you. It's it, Not a single bookstore in Canada covers the, carries the book, but it went to number one on the Amazon bestseller list. That tells you something. Again, the regime media won't even review the book, let alone, not even just to, to diminish it or deride it. They don't even want to acknowledge the book. They don't acknowledge the different narrative. She was jailed. And she's on trial. To this day, she's on trial, a, a multi, multi week, multi month trial in Ottawa. It's a disgrace. But it marked the beginning of the downfall of Justin Trudeau. Although he's still in office, it was then that his poll started to sink because the mask slipped. And he, he showed that when he told reporters a few years ago that China was the country he most admires, that he actually meant it. Imagine that. Do you, do you have that old clip? I bet you could find it quickly. Justin Trudeau said, China is the country he most admires. And that's not the end of the quote. He said, because of its basic dictatorship. There's a lot of reasons to admire China, by the way. You can like their culture, their history, their language, their food, their archaeology. Their ge it's a, there's a lot to admire about China. But what was the one thing Justin Trudeau selected amongst the various choices? Because of their basic dictatorship. Find the clip. Let me know if you need, I could, I could find it. It's just an amazing, amazing clip. And the mask slip, and people saw who he really was. He's behind by 10 points in the polls, but he has an important ally, the media party, which is why Justin Trudeau has done something that you Americans need to know about. We talked a while before about the First Amendment, and how it's a difficult thing. We have to give freedom of speech to those we hate, to those we find odious, because that's the rule. Freedom of speech does not only apply to boring things. Yeah, play that clip. Play that clip you got there. I want people to hear it with their own ears. 
He doesn't just say, I, China's a country I most admire. He says, because of their basic dictatorship. And then he continued on. He said, because they can make environmental decisions quickly and like a tyrant would. If you got that clip, pay, play it with audio. I want people to know. And, and he does remind me of a dumber Gavin Newsom. And what's happening to Canada should terrify Americans. Do you have that clip? Play it if you have it. And then I want to tell you about the four laws that Trudeau is invoking to censor Canadians. Let me know if we, in my ear if we got that clip. Here, let's take a look. He most admired and referred to China. There's a level of, of uh, admiration I actually have for China. Their you know, basic dictatorship is allowing them uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime and say, we need to go green as fast as we need to start you know, investing in solar. I mean, there is a flexibility that I know Stephen Harper must dream about of having a dictatorship that he could do everything he wanted. Uh, that I find quite interesting. The federal government has invoked the Emergencies Act to supplement provincial and territorial capacity. Thanks for playing that clip. I wanted to show that Chinese part. You notice, you notice what happened there. He said, I... I admire China because of their basic dictatorship allows them to move on a dime for environmental movement, environmental causes. And then he sort of realized what he had said. And he said, oh, oh, my opponent would like that. No, no, no. You're the one who just said it. Just quite incredible. So this man who admires China, and remember, he's the son of Pierre Trudeau, the prime minister who admired the Soviet Union, who took his, who took his sons to Siberia during the Cold War and said, this is the future. He really does admire tyranny, and he doesn't hide it. So let me tell you what Justin Trudeau is doing. You know, there's a lot of problems in Canada, and there, many of them are similar to the problems in the United States. We have out-of-control immigration. We have inflation. It, uh, housing in Canada is two times as expensive as it is in the United States proportionately. It's a disaster. We have a lot of problems in Canada, but Justin Trudeau has four bills or laws, four for censorship. Uh, he doesn't have four bills or laws for inflation or the cost of groceries or housing or health care. He doesn't care about those things as much as he cares about censorship. He has passed a bill called C-11, a bill called C-18. He's proposing two more called C-36 and one called online harms. And I don't want to get too down the rabbit hole, but I want to read to you something about a law that was passed in Canada a few months ago called C-11, and it was buried in there. This is the law that gives Justin Trudeau power over the internet. We have our version of the FCC. And like the FCC, traditionally worried about radio and TV, especially limited bandwidth. You couldn't have too many AM radio stations near each other on the dial. Fair enough. But what is the FCC doing in the internet business? Well, in Canada, our CRTC, as it's called, was just given the power over the internet. And I want you to call up, if you would, the text of the bill. And I think I sent it to you if you have it there. And I want you to go down to section 911E. Let me know if you need me to send that over again. This is the text of the law that Justin Trudeau passed. And I want to put it on the screen so you know what I mean. Do you guys have that? Perfect. So... A lot of it is just technical, how do you regulate the internet, but there's this one poisonous paragraph, section 911E, and we'll put it on the screen when we get it. And I'll, uh, I'll just email that to you in case you guys don't have it. 
911E, I'm just going to read it. We can catch up with the visuals later. It gives Trudeau the power to make orders, quote, respecting the presentation of programs and programming services for selection by the public, including the showcasing and discoverability of Canadian programs and programming services. We'll put that on the screen when we find it. But let me take that into plain language. Justin Trudeau, through Bill C-11, has given himself the power to order internet broadcasters, your Netflix and your Hulus, but also your Facebooks and your YouTubes and your Rumbles and your Twitters, anyone who broadcasts anything on the internet, which is everyone, really. Justin Trudeau has given himself the power under C-11 to alter the showcasing and discoverability of programs, as in, he gets to alter the algorithms. Justin Trudeau can now order Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram to boost media he likes and de-boost media he doesn't. And in doing so, he has given himself a weapon to silence the Infowars, the Rebel News, the critics, the skeptics, the citizen journalists, not by a bill of attainer saying ban Infowars, ban Rebel News, ban Fox News, ban Newsmax. No, no, no. Yeah, there it is right there. You see that? 911, if you scroll down to E, 911 says we have the power to make rules respecting the presentation of programs and programming services for selection by the public, including the showcasing and the discoverability of Canadian programs and programming, such as French language. So they can boost French language stuff, but, but that's just an example. They can tell the broadcasters to alter the algorithm to hide what they consider non-trustworthy media. They have passed a law allowing them to tell broadcasters what to boost and what to suppress, what to hide and what to promote. And that is how censorship is done in 2023. They're not stupid enough to pass a law banning rebel news. Why would they? Now they have control over all the mediums and they say, just de-boost these fact-checked media that didn't add up. I mean, for example, the scoop that Alex Jones had today with Steven Crowder, that would be tagged untrustworthy by a fact checker. And then under Canadian law, all the broadcasters would be required to suppress that. So if you Googled it, you wouldn't find it. That is the meaning of 911E. I know that sounds legalistic and lawyerly, but I showed you with your own eyes. That is the power, the power to alter the discoverability and showcasing of the news. That is in the law. And that is just one of the laws. Justin Trudeau has also announced that he intends to introduce a law on what he calls online harms. Well, I'm against online harms, aren't you? What's an online harm? Well, here's the cabinet minister who came up with the idea. He gives an example of harmful media that his online harms law is designed to oppose. And wouldn't you know it, it's criticism of politicians. You guys have that clip? Here's Stephen Gilbo, who was then the Minister of Heritage, as we call it in Canada, explaining one of the reasons we need the online harms law is to stop Rebel News or other conservative or skeptical journalists 
from criticizing politicians. Take a look. We've seen too many examples of public officials retreating from public service due to the hateful online content targeted towards themselves or even their families. So there you go. If you criticize a politician or their family, if you, in the American context, were to critic, criticize Barack Obama or Michelle Obama or Bill Clinton or Hillary Clinton, you're, you're committing an online harm. He's calling that harmful. You just heard it from himself. And what are the remedies for online harms? What are they going to do? I mean, I showed you in Bill C-11, they have the power to de-boost things that they call harmful. But they go even further. You're not even going to believe the language of this guy. He was asked in the same interview, so what happens if there is a disobedient news source out there that criticizes you in a way you don't like? What is your ultimate weapon? This is the next clip. Please take a look at this envision having blocking orders. I mean, that's, that, it, maybe. Um, it's not, uh, you know, it's a, it, it would be, it would likely be a, a last result, last result, uh, nuclear bomb in, in a, in a toolbox of, uh, of mechanism for, for regulate. So blocking entire websites Oh, it wouldn't be his first go-to, but it is in the toolbox, he calls it, for regulators. Remember that crazy digital safety commissioner that Biden briefly floated? That's exactly what is happening in Canada. And that was our heritage minister in the day, Stephen Gilbeau, explaining, do not criticize politicians. And if you do, and if you're unrepentant, and if you don't stop, well, we got a lot of tools in the toolbox. One of them is blocking an entire website like they do in China, Iran, or North Korea. And I am telling you, and I'm not going to go in, into detail about the other laws because there are two other laws that Trudeau has proposed. One of them is called Bill C-36, and uh, he pledges to revive that. That includes, includes jail. It includes house arrest. It includes ankle monitors. It's, that is what Canada is like we don't have a First Amendment. We have freedom of speech in our Charter of Rights, it's called, but it is not as strong as the U.S. First Amendment. And I look at these pro-Hamas protesters, and I want to be careful, because just because I find them odious and anti-Semitic and Nazi-like, I want to be careful that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just like there is no pandemic exception to the Constitution, there's no... Hamas exception to the Constitution. And I think it's important that we deal with threats like Hamas and its fifth column in a constitutional way. That's why my idea of deporthamas.com was if they are not here as permanent, if they're here on a temporary student visa and they're going to these hate marches, kick them out because they're not American. From Edmonton, Alberta, is our chief reporter, Sheila Gunn-Reed, who has led our coverage of an atrocious phenomenon that I want 
to warn Americans about. I mentioned earlier that because I'm Canadian, I have a slightly different take on American affairs, and you'll correct my errors, but I also want to bring with you cautionary tales, because Canada is so very much like the United States. We speak English like you do. We listen to the same music. We drive the same cars. We eat the same food. We There's so many similarities, but we are... I suppose we are what would happen if Gavin Newsom became president, because we have our own shiny pony, as I used to call him, Justin Trudeau, a kind of Gavin Newsom, a dumber Gavin Newsom as our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, was saying we're going to talk more about him. But it's not just laughing, because terrible things have happened. And one of them is called MAID, M-A-I-D, which is the new acronym that they've made up, Medical Assistance in Dying, because the old words were discredited so they threw them out and got a new word, and Sheila has been covering this story, and I want to tell Americans about it. Sheila, thanks very much for joining me down here at InfoWars World Headquarters. Nice to see you from up in Canada. I'll be home tomorrow. You know, thanks for having me on the show. I'm a connoisseur of InfoWars, and I think you're doing a great job hosting, Boss. Well, thanks very much. You know, I got big shoes to fill. Now, Sheila, you've been covering this story, and, and I found out that and, and I'm sure this number is un underreported, that 4% of all deaths in Canada now are from medical assistance in dying. In other words, government saying we are going to off this person, but I, I am certain in my bones that's underreported. Here's why. I saw the guidance from the Ontario College of Physicians and Surgeons, which told doctors in the certificate of death, do not put yes. medical assistance in dying. Do not put assisted suicide. Do not put euthanasia or any bad words. Put the underlying complaint that called the person to be killed. So if they uh, were depressed, if they uh, were in pain, put that as the cause of death. Do not say that we killed them. So I think that the number is most likely a, a lot higher. Sheila, take it away. Tell our American friends what is happening north of the border and what they should be worried about coming south. You know, they really should be worried because a lot of people were warning about the slippery slope when medical assistance in dying, as they like to call it in Canada, was first authorized here. It's euthanizing the inconvenient or the chronically ill at this point in Canada. And when I say inconvenient, I really do mean that. These are not sick people. Ezra is right to point out that the numbers are underreported because of the reasons he just mentioned. But even so, the numbers are absolutely atrocious and escalating. So in between 2016 and 2021, 32,000 Canadians were euthanized at the hands of the state. But the acceleration of this is impossible to gauge. So the most recent numbers we have are from 2021. So a full one-third of all those euthanized by the state between 2016 and 2021, that occurred in 2021. So, so over 10,000. And by the way, I mean, just for American listeners, Canada has one-tenth the population in the United States, roughly right. speaking. So times this by 10, so that's 300,000. This is... Yeah. I mean, this is coming up to the number of babies aborted. If you're if you're talking about another uh, intervention that causes a loss of life, Sheila, keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted to put that in perspective for Americans. Those thirty plus thousand is enormous, but that's a country one tenth the size of America. Keep going. Yes. Uh, so to scale it up, that's a hundred thousand people 
to scale up to American numbers in 2021 alone. That's the size of a small city euthanized at the hands of the state. And it's only going to get worse because very recently they, the government has removed the 10-day wait period for a lot of people who are accessing suicide at the hands of the state. You no longer have to be uh, imminently ill. Uh, you no longer have to be fatally ill. Your death does not have to be imminent. Um, and the state of the Canadian healthcare system is actually a reason why you can access medical assistance in dying. One of the criteria is that you experience unbearable physical or mental suffering from your illness, disease, disability, or state of decline that cannot be relieved under conditions that you consider acceptable. Now, in Canada, we have rationed healthcare. We're chronically in a state of dissatisfaction with the healthcare system. And that now is the reason why you can access medical assistance in dying. And it is showing up in the circumstances of the people who are accessing this. So just in the last year alone, we've seen up to nine veterans who are dissatisfied with the care they're receiving from Veterans Affairs, including a paraplegic Paralympian named Christine Gauthier being offered medical assistance in dying at the hands of the state. Uh, we've seen somebody with diabetes receiving medical assistance in dying. Uh, eating disorder, rather than getting treatment for their eating disorder, they just access medical assistance in dying. We've seen old people who were unwilling to go back into COVID lockdown access medical assistance in dying. People who are chronically homeless now accessing medical assistance in dying. And in just five short months, I think we'll be changing what we call the suicide hotlines here in Canada because people who are mentally ill can access medical assistance in dying. And I want to be clear, it does not have to be done at the hands of a doctor. It just has to be a medical professional. You can get a nurse practitioner to do this, a pharmacist. And so a veteran now in Canada experiencing an acute PTSD episode can call up their doctor and receive medical assistance in dying instead of the care they need and deserve. You know, it's atrocious, and that's the thing, and, and this is a warning I have for Americans. Oh, uh, Canadian healthcare, it's wonderful. It's, uh, there's no, it's free. Well, first of all, enormous waiting lists. So, yeah, free access to a waiting list. But, but look at the incentives that come in. If the government is on the hook for a costly treatment, oh, hey, have you ever considered suicide? And, of course, Canada is the same fiscal mess that America has. So all the instances you talk about, it is a state that has dehumanized people saying, look, this is going to be really... And we showed, we flashed on the screen there about the veterans. Imagine that. A, veter a soldier goes over, Canada deployed thousands of troops to Afghanistan. Some of them have come back with PTSD. And imagine being told by Veteran Affairs, hey, have you thought of killing yourself? Absolutely atrocious. Sheila, I'm so glad that you're on this beat. Interestingly, American media have covered it in some ways more than Canadian media. We only have 30 seconds left, Sheila, but why don't you talk about that? Because the Canadian media is so dominated by the regime-subsidized reporters that this is something that's sort of sweeping under the rug. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, you're exactly right when you point out to why this is happening. The media in Canada is funded by and large by Justin Trudeau. And because they are funded by and large by Justin Trudeau, they become 
guards keepers of Justin Trudeau's narrative. And right now, the narrative in Canada coming from the federal government is that it could one day be your civic duty to just drop dead. And the Canadian media seem to be completely fine with this. profanity. It wasn't, you know, the middle fingers. It wasn't even in one case a physical assault that bothered me. What bothered me was the indoctrination that this man who is injuring women on the sock, on the rugby pitch rather, is getting away with it. And I might add, Ezra, uh, in contravance to world rugby, which a couple of years ago, to its credit, came out with a statement saying, you cannot, as a male, play on a female rugby team. But I guess here in Canada, it's all about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And if real biological uh, females are being carted off the pitch in a stretcher, well, you know, I guess you gotta break a few eggs to make a diverse omelet these days, right? excited ever! Oh, yeah, Mug Club, baby! Wow! The replatforming begins now. Join Mug Club and get one month free with promo code Alex at jonescrowder.com. Hey, welcome back. Ezra Levan here. We were talking to my friend Sheila Gunn-Reed a moment ago. I have another colleague in Canada. We call him our mission specialist, and one of his special missions is tracking transgender insanity. And sometimes it can be a lighthearted matter because it's so absurd. Of course, this morning we saw the revelations about the mass murderer who was motivated by a stew of insane cultural Marxism fueled by drugs to transition from being a woman to a man. So it, it's not all for mockery. Joining us now from Toronto is my colleague, David Menzies. David, great to see you on InfoWars. Great to be here, Ezra. How you doing, my friend? Good. We've got a five-minute segment here, so I want to jump right into it. You cover the transgender beat, and sometimes you have to laugh because the alternative is to cry. Uh, tell us about the rugby team that you've been covering lately. It, it's just crazy. Tell us. It the, is what crazy. Go ahead. Ezra. Oh, you know, and, and that was a really jarring assignment for me, Ezra, because this is about a fellow called Ash Davis. He was voted the male team's hardest hitter of last year. And suddenly he's a woman. He's clearly a biological male. He's muscle bound, for goodness sakes. Uh, um, and when I went there, Ezra, I expected he might have an ally or two, but if InfoWars viewers check, check out that video, you'll see that the whole team, well, they went hysterical on me. And it wasn't the profanity, it wasn't you know, the middle fingers, it wasn't even in one case a physical assault that bothered me. What bothered me was the indoctrination that this man who is injuring women on the sock, on the rugby pitch rather, is getting away with it. And I might add, Ezra, uh, 
in contravance to World Rugby, which a couple of years ago, to its credit, came out with a statement saying, you cannot, as a male, play on a female rugby team. But I guess here in Canada, it's all about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And if real biological uh, females are being carted off the pitch in a stretcher, well, you know, I guess you got to break a few eggs to make a diverse omelet these days, right? David, as you were talking, we were showing some of the footage, and I think viewers can discern immediately who the man is. He's got male pattern baldness, and and he, like you say, he was voted hardest hitter. The crazy thing, and we won't play it now just for a lack of time, when you ask these questions, they were all unit. They were shrieking at you, like everyone on the team was defending this bloke. Like I, I mean, I guess any women who were offended by this uh, had already quit the team, or they were terrified of of wrong think and being punished. And I guess having a bloke on the team, well, that's the problem for the other teams who get hit. I, I, that's the only explanation I can figure out. What do you think? Well, there is the indoctrination factor, Ezra. They actually believe a trans woman is a so-called real woman. And uh, there's the intimidation. And by that, Ezra, I mean the following week, and we went to cover it, uh, Fergus, which is Ash Davis's team, was in Waterloo to play the Waterloo female team. And prior to that match, the head honcho of Waterloo Rugby, a guy called Josh Windsor, who is a principal at a Kitchener school, by the way, sent out an email to all the female participants. And it was basically saying this, Ezra, if you have any negative thoughts about this trans woman, so-called, you're off the team. Oh, and by the way, if I deem what you say is hateful, I'm phoning the Waterloo Regional Police. How do you like being taken away from the pitch in a paddy wagon? So when I went there to cover that match, even though this was the opposition, i.e. the victim group, most of them, Ezra, were wearing the baby blue, pink, and white band, the trans symbol, saying, yeah, we're down with the trans revolution. Well, you better be because the president of Waterloo Rugby is uh, – you know, intimating that he's going to have you arrested if you're not down with the radical trans revolution. You know, uh, we saw a police vehicle that was called uh, in response to your journalism. Listen, we got to take a short break, David, but stick around because I want to talk to you about the 50-year-old man who went into a swimming competition against 13-year-old girls. Let's take a break. We'll come back to that. products have changed my life. Your brain force, all that makes me better. They make me more focused. They make me feel better. A lot of lingering effects from when I was uh, getting sober have now uh, relieved me. My girlfriend goes to the gym and goes hard. She's on the turmeric and the same stuff. These products will change your life. They fund one of the greatest things out there right now for us as free Americans. Please do these people a favor. Go to their store, support them, do what you need to do, because if we lose InfoWars, we lose a lot more than what people are willing to believe. If you want to really get in shape for this thing about to come, get the HGH and get that testosterone boost, man, get in the gym, because I'm in the best shape of my life because of your product, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to not lose the greatest symbol against tyranny the world has ever seen, and that's our American flag. And with that, I appreciate loving for wars. I'll listen to you the day I die or you go off air, but I'm going to do my part to make sure you don't have a great day. 
Hey, we got a few more minutes. I want to go back to my uh, Toronto uh, uh, friend, David Menzies, our mission specialist. David, you recently covered the course. We were talking about transgenderism. Alex just talked about it. Uh, I want to talk about that crazy swim meet for 13-year-old girls where a 50-year-old man was allowed to enter and compete. Tell us about that, and I think we've got some visuals for that, too. Go ahead. It was unbelievable, Ezra. We were tipped off by concerned parents, and they said, you must get out to the Markham Pan Am Centre. That's a pool just north of Toronto. There is a 50-year-old biological male, and he's swimming against... 13- and 14-year-old biological females. And at first, um, the authorities tried to deny it. But thank goodness we had the game sheet, um, if you will, which showed the names and ages of all competitors. Nine out of ten were females, either 13 or 14, and then you see Plop, uh, Melody Weishart, that's not his real name. His real name is Nicholas Sapita, uh, age 50. And this is, this apparently has the blessing of Swimming Canada, which is outrageous, um, Ezra, because last month was the um, world meet for swimming, and uh, World Aquatics, the international governing body, created for the first time an open category. And that was, if you're not biological male, not biological female, here you go, you've been clamoring for years and years and years, you wanna compete. So at the Berlin swim meet, they had this open category, guess what? Zero entrance. And to me, this is a big red flag, Ezra, because maybe this is not about just getting in the pool to compete uh, with uh, people of the opposite gender. Maybe this is about changing and showering with, in this case, minors of the opposite gender. Once upon a time, I think that would get you arrested. Now, again, it's a celebration of diversity, equity, Hmm. and inclusion. And by the way, Ezra, we cannot get a straight answer from any of the authorities, any of the people that ran the club meets, whether this person got into the change room with these 13- and 14-year-old girls and got to get naked with them in terms of changing and showering, which I think is absolutely despicable. David Menzies, Mission Specialist for Rebel News. Thanks for joining me as I guest host InfoWars. Great to see you, my friend. We'll see you back in Canada tomorrow. A few minutes to say thanks. I'd like to give my thanks to the team at InfoWars that invited me to help out today. I hope I lived up to expectations. I certainly had a good time. It was great to take some calls. I think that was my favorite part. Thanks to the hardworking staff in the control room. I was throwing video clips at them and they didn't know what I was talking about because they're not familiar with the Canadian lay of the land, but I think they did a great job. So thanks you guys for helping me out. Uh, And I I hope I didn't stress you out by throwing some curveballs at you. Obviously, thanks to Alex Jones for trusting me with this chair. And my heart goes out to Owen Schroyer, who I truly believe is a political prisoner. And if he were a man of the left serving time in prison for the analogous actions on the left, he would be championed. Uh, he, would, he would be given a Pulitzer Prize. He would be championed 
by Amnesty International and the ACLU and the like. And when he gets out of jail, he would be given an honorary professorship at Columbia School of Journalism. Do you doubt a word I've just said? I think uh, he suffers for his journalism the same way Infowars has suffered for its journalism. And there's something very compelling about that. And the motto of Rebel News is telling the other side of the story. And I think that's what Infowars does. We have that as our motto because it's to remind people, it's to explain what we do. We tell the other side of the story, but to remind people that there is more than one side of the story. It used to, we used to know that. We used to have both sides of the story in a report, or at least aspire to. These days, we don't have debates anymore. The other side is canceled and silenced and censored and deplatformed and demonetized. That's not how it's supposed to be. We talked about freedom of speech, even for people we find odious. I think that the left no longer believes in debate. I remember the atrocious slogan they had, punch a Nazi. Well, they've just decided anyone they want to punch is a Nazi. I think that they've decided it's easier to cancel and denormalize people than engage with them and, and beat them. We've seen in the last three years how weak even Ivy League university students are. They don't know how to handle ideas without frankly, walking the streets and chanting for violence. We alluded to it several times in the broadcast today, cultural Marxism, applying the oppressor-oppressed matrix to everything, whether it's race or transgenderism or feminism. And, and I think that's why you see bizarre anomalies like gay Jews for Hamas, which is a sign that was really in the, in the Hamas march in, in London. That makes no sense at all until you realize that the reason they are aligned is they both want to smash the free West. And although Israel is the little Satan, America is the great Satan, I think that the only way America can lose is from the inside. If the drawbridge is allowed down and the enemy at the gates is allowed to rush in, that is exactly what's going on, and that's what terrifies me. I have a lot of concerns about these wars overseas. Of course I do. I don't want to see World War III, and it's very interesting that Trump's ahead in the polls and Zelensky is uh, in the changes that we talked about at the top of the show. But I think the real battlegrounds is for the hearts and minds of Americans. And I'm very troubled what I see in American institutions of great learning, world-famous institutions like Harvard. Who knew Harvard could breed such illiberalism and such a lust for violence? It's astonishing to me. I'm an American no file. America has saved the world many times. It's a beacon of freedom. We in Canada admire America. And so we're concerned for it when we see it falling away from freedom. I hope some of the stories I told today and my colleagues David and Sheila told help to show you what could happen if, God forbid, Gavin Newsom actually does become your president. Thanks again for having me. And as I always like to end my shows at rebelnews.com, goodbye and keep fighting for freedom.